You're listening to The Midwest Goodbye, a crime and paranormal podcast exploring the dark mysteries of America's flyover states. Listener discretion is advised. How do we start? I have I don't remember how we did it the last time. Does it matter? So, hey, this is the Midwest goodbye. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. We we're filming or filming. Oh my god, I don't think we should do this, but we should do this. Get it together, Kirsten. I I never have it together. That's fine. So we are recording our first and second episode back to back because we are too afraid to stop garage band because we aren't confident that we can get it going again by the way this is the midwest goodbye <laughs> i'm meg and i'm kirsten welcome to the clusterfuck this is very on brand for us so yeah eventually we're gonna get our shit together it'll be great but in this sense i guess but not in the general way never no never in the general sense <laughs> no oh my god um so yeah since this uh, episode is immediately after recording, not filming, the first one. There's not a whole lot to say in this hot dish right now, other than that we feel immense sense of relief to get that first one behind us. Yes. We aren't complete failures. Here's the hot dish. We recorded the first episode. We're hot shit now. Whee! Welcome to the show. Yes. And I have, I don't know, I got a lot in mind, so it may as well get going well um real quick for those of you who are not listening to this back-to-back uh this is the midwest goodbye we cover true crime paranormal activity cryptozoology and all things spooky and kooky in america's flyover states please remember that this podcast is not safe for work again Mm -hmm. by the immediate (laughs) f-bomb uh today Um. we are covering we're gonna sexual assault, I believe you said? Yes. Discussions okay. of sexual assault. Discussions of sexual assault. It will come more clear later. So um, there's going to be some hard conversations. There's going to be uncomfortable moments. And I know that because I was uncomfortable oh, joy. thinking about how I'm going to discuss this. Fabulous. So if this is not your cup of tea, feel free to take a self-care day and skip this episode, my friends. You know, actually, this is, like, crazy on brand. This is, I mean, it's a little bit of the meat and a little bit of, like, the hot dish. But, like, this is a, a racial profiling case. Oh, marvelous. And uh, if anybody is unaware, um, I don't know when Meg is going to release this episode, considering it's the second episode. We're f- we're recording on the 6th. Uh, of oh, February. Yep. Um, I think it... Oh, it is the 6th. I was like, it's... What? It's midnight. Um, <laughs> but, like, so it's Sunday. Friday, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and the cops killed another black man yes he was sure did sleeping it was a no-knock raid or warrant whatever i think it was a raid um and uh even though in the report the police i guess 
thought that they identified themselves in the body cam footage, it was confirmed that they did not. So you are asleep on the couch at your friend's house. Uh, you do have a permit to carry to protect yourself. You wake up with a gang of men pointing guns at you. Uh, if you happen to reach for your gun, it is completely in your right. And then you're dead. And it's... You know what? This sounds so familiar. You know what? It sounds familiar with too many cases, but I think you're talking about Breonna Taylor. I sure am. Oh, I was so mad. But, um, so... I guess I wasn't planning this at all. I actually had a completely different episode uh, that I was going to start off with. but It was child murder. I asked her not to start with child murder. Yeah. <laughs> I got And I got real deep into it, too. I went into crazy circles. And so I decided I wanted to kind of do a more... It's a more positive story, and I'll get to why... There's a lot of frustration and everything, but I decided that's kind of the note I wanted to start on. And then fucking Minnesota cops did their fucking thing again. I just, even before Breonna Taylor, how many times in the last few years have Minneapolis PD been in shit hot fucking water for literally the same thing? I'm... Oh, I'm so upset with myself. I There's three massive cases mm-hmm. that I can think of just off the top of my head. Everybody knows George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Philando Castile. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, God damn it, this is what makes me upset. The The latest one, I the only name I remember is Porter, which is the female cop who was actually a safety arms mm-hmm. um, instructor for the officer cops or for officers or whatever and she mm-hmm. shot a, a black man and she just recently got uh her trial get going and oh yeah um basically she claimed to have reached for her taser yeah and she she but was she... an instructor and she can't tell the difference between a taser and her gun but she uh unloaded her lethal weapon and killed Oh, man. Uh, the one that Kirsten is referring to from a few days ago was the murder of Amir Locke. Yes, Amir Locke. And uh, the porter, I, say, I hate that I'm talking about her more than him, but I can't. Dante Wright. Yes. Oh, I had to look it up. I'm so sorry. But yeah, those are three massive ones. And the thing that, the thing that I feel like... more and more... Yeah. I don't have all the top because I couldn't even think of the top one of the top ones that have just been in national news because it's just like it's almost getting saturated with these cases and because it literally it literally happens every day. But I think the fact that we have so many cases within one, not even one state, one fucking police department, Mm. get your shit together, man. And I. It just, it's such a big issue that we're never going to be able to fully and appropriately do justice and unpack here on the Midwest Goodbye. But, mm. and I don't think, honestly, we have 
that much of a place too. Absolutely fucking not. Because I don't know if um, anybody's looked up our uh, Instagram or anything, but we are we are white as hell. We oh so white. I'm sorry. Like it's it. I do get made fun of. Um, I do work nights. You Meg works nights. I sure do. We are pale at first and then we like exasperate it yeah um my sister has regularly called me a a corpse um i don't tan i turn into a lobster and then i get more freckles yeah i i I just go red and then back to right back to pale like there's no tan line what what um but did the whole so yeah anyway yeah not it's not about us but we're just saying i'm just saying like i'm upset and i'm outraged and I I am going to speak out against what I feel and what's happening and the mm-hmm. injustice of it all. But it isn't my place to, I don't know, like, champion, like, through and, I don't know. I just don't want to come off as, like, some white savior complex. I, it's just, like, it's a it's a shitty situation. It, it fucking shouldn't happen. It's inexcusable Mm -hmm. and I honestly didn't plan to have uh the case that I'm going to cover coincide with that but I did feel like after it happened I I genuinely it needs to be mentioned I wanted to mention it it needs to be mentioned yes because it's this isn't an, an old case um but it's just showing that there's I feel like we've evolved in so many ways, but we haven't evolved here. And nope. it's it's fucking shit. Anyway, let's go on. Um Okay. So, uh I'm gonna like talk a lot about like the first bit of this is I'm gonna establish the person I'm talking about. And okay. then I'm gonna go into the incident and then unfortunately I do yada 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 a lot at the end. But I feel like it's important to establish who he is and um, what happened to this man and, you know, like, not, I don't have to go into the steps he had to take to get to where he is today Mm -hmm. because I'll get into it. Anyway. Okay. So, Jared Adams was born November 19th in Chicago of 1981. Scorpio. Yeah. Oh. I'm not going to fact-check you. November? Is it? Anyway, I don't know. Yeah, November's a Scorpio because my my husband's birthday is around that time and he's a Scorpio. I know my sign and I know my brother's sign. My brother is my twin. Anyway. Wow. (laughs) Um... By the age of five, his parents went through a bitter separation that he remember, and he remembers his mom being incredibly affected by for years afterwards, recalling several times as he was going to bed, he would hear her cry and break down in her bathroom. Oh. Yeah. After the day was done and when she thought it was private, um, his family unit was very close-knit. He was raised by his mother and mm. grandparents Lane and Buddy. Buddy. Um, I love Lane and Buddy, and that's why specifically they had a very short 
time in his life, but they yeah. were very influential, and I, I, I just love Lane and Bundy. Um, Lane would take him to church and feed him candy from her purse because she was that fucking bitch. Oh, uh, she was that grandma. Um, ready, she was ready to pull out a sweet from her Mary Poppins bag. Uh, she always had some food cooking, and soon she involved Jarrett and was teaching him about measuring ingredients and what spices did for what recipes. The grandma I aspire to be. Mm. And he was uh, particularly close with his grandfather, Buddy, a World War II veteran, and mm-hmm. Jarrett admired his strength and courage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buddy was his male influence. Um Jarrett talked about how Buddy received a purple heart from getting a bullet lodged into his chest on Normandy Beach. Whoa. Yeah, and I think, I didn't write it in my notes here, but I do recall um, that I think he was, like, unfortunately, but, like, miraculously, like, one of the only black survivors in, like, a black unit uh, that stampeded Normandy. Um, I got a lot of this info, like, a a ton of this information by uh the book redeeming justice mm-hmm. it was written by jared adams and on audible which is where i devoured it it was actually narrated by jared what yeah so that's it was, so cool i know and it's oh it's it, it's very great what was the title uh redeeming justice redeeming justice yes. okay um i did get some articles here and there too i if it's truly important i can get it in the footnotes but i don't have my articles with me okay okay um but um he got his buddy got his purple heart from getting a bullet lodged in his chest and that bullet actually could not get removed due to the likelihood of his death whoa yes so it just made buddy live life fuller and love deeper because i mean yeah any shift of this bullet would kill him yeah um unfortunately buddy did die when oh. Jarrett was 10 years old and Lane followed a year afterward. Oh, no. Yeah. His um, mom was devastated and he recalls how her bathroom breakdowns would intensify and she was a single mother raising her children in Chicago and losing both of her parents within a year. Within a year. That is that is so intense. Yeah. Like I, I feel like even if you're not necessarily that bonded with your family like the loss of both of your grandparents Mm -hmm. within a year would be just like downright catastrophic and if you are it it sounds like she was their only daughter no well i actually don't know where in the book and like and i actually i honestly don't know if he just gives nicknames to everybody because Mm -hmm. all of his aunties he calls like really cute names he calls them aunt honey Aunt Sweetie and Aunt Peaches. Those are the best auntie names ever. I know. But, like, I don't know if it's, like... Like, kind of the... Auntie, Yeah, you know? the, the friends who are honorary aunties or... If, yeah. But he, he seems kind of private, honestly. Like, okay. Like, you know, he doesn't... When he's talking about, like, growing up, he, like, somewhat mentions, like, there might be siblings, but he never mm-hmm. really confirms until, like, at the end of the book. You oh, know, okay. like, he, he, he... I think... and. Honestly, it actually was kind of difficult, like, researching anything in his life other than reading or listening to this About book. About this case. Because okay. I, he, I think he is kind of, with reason, kind of private and making mm-hmm. sure, like, not everything is out there. Yeah. I mean, 
but yeah, to have like such an such a large loss in your familial mm-hmm. structure, like of, of well, course. And that was it. Like I said, like his patriarch. And yeah, everything. like his. It sounds honestly like his idols. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, honestly, like the things that um, like Lane taught him how to read. Oh. Um, Buddy instilled like a curiosity in him. Mm-hmm. Like he never talked down to him. Like if mm-hmm. Jared asked a question, he would like. Buddy would sit down and like answer it straightforward, mm. you know, and like or at or do the Socrates like Socrates thing and ask him questions for Jarrett to work out. Oh yeah, you know, like on his own to get yeah. like, you know, get the gears turning. Yeah. Oh, so okay, okay. So the grandparents are have passed. Yes, and but like like I just mentioned, like they instilled a lot into him, so he was. Very inquisitive, and the adults saying, you'll understand when you're older or mm-hmm. you're too young to know. Um, answers to his questions were not accepted by him. He pressed... Dude, same. <laughs> yeah. He pressed and learned, and his mind was a steel trap for knowledge. He loved reading and writing mm-hmm. and that his grandma instilled um, into him, and quotes how the quality... How this quality would eventually save his life. Oh. Yes. Um, because he, he was so bright and cognizant of his surroundings, he started seeing how his neighborhood changed around him. Mm-hmm. Again, this is, uh, Chicago, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born, I think, what was it? 1980, uh, um, 1981. Okay. So, um. So we're probably in Chicago, like in the nineties now. Yes. Okay. So the crack epidemic struck yeah. his neighborhood in the late 80s and early 90s oh, in yeah. gangs form he witnessed mm-hmm. drugs and violence out in the open at block parties and while he played in the streets with his friends uh police presence became ever more prevalent prevalent and they stopped young black men in the street for whatever they wanted oh jeez um, okay once they stopped a uh, teenage Jarrett claiming that he fit the profile of someone they were looking for mm-hmm. relating to a shooting, but uh, luckily that interaction did not go beyond them questioning him on the street. Um, you know, Jarrett kept his nose clean. He never had a record. Mm-hmm. Um, his mom uh, feared for his livelihood and would try to stay ahead of the crime surges. Right. And, moving from neighborhood to neighborhood and um i think five different times and he would have to repeatedly change schools mm-hmm. um though he changed schools he remained bright and social he did not show that he was too bright however um a kid too smart was not favored in his perception but he never really struggled in school, and he would begin to play sports, which he was naturally gifted at. Mm-hmm. Uh, as he was growing into adulthood, his mother would repeat a phrase to him that he would never forget and keep in his mind at all times. Disposable black boys. She would always make sure to, <sighs> like, it was almost like a mantra. Disposable black boys, and he so he would never forget. The, if I may interrupt, I mm-hmm. think... One of the things that we've noticed or that I think we've started finally fucking paying attention to, especially within the last, uh, let's be generous and say eight to ten years, um, is that when we listen to uh, voices and stories from 
our BIPOC communities and our people of color, like, this is not an uncommon story. No. You know, you hear all the time about these parents who were so painfully aware of what was going around, you know, outside in their ver- in their own backyards and having having those really difficult conversations with their elementary aged children yeah about you know how to respond to like a police officer yeah when i was taught that if i feel unsafe or um i needed help i would approach find a, somebody find in a uniform. police officer yeah. yeah and that's not so i case. think you know it's it's just so to me almost I can't decide if it's chilling, frustrating, or both. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if this is in the 90s and we're in fucking 2022, 30 years mm-hmm. of just watch Good. watch your back, you're disposable, keep your nose clean, don't stick out. Yeah, and it's like the, pro- the problem has never been exactly hidden. No. It's... And it's, it's just, it's, I don't know. I just could go on forever about that Mm. one. All right. So now we're going to get to the event. Jesus Christ. All right. All right. Let's go. um, After Jared graduated high school, he spent the summer to save up for his college books and get an apartment on his own. He was um, also a 17-year-old boy. And he would party whenever he had time with his friends. Right. Living in Chicago, it was too dangerous to find a place to party that they, um, they just didn't want to get involved with the wrong crowd and with their whole future ahead of them. Right. And it was just too dangerous to stay at the neighborhoods and party there. Right. Um, so they would actually drive hours all around Chicago in mm. different universities or in Illinois and uh, Wisconsin, just finding mm. safe college parties, right. not like neighborhood parties to go right. to. Um, so um, on September 5th of 1998, they drove around two hours to Whitewater's University of Wisconsin. Okay. It wasn't the first time they made a journey like it and to let out some steam and have a good time. Right. It was a freshman orientation, and all these teenagers were drinking, smoking, playing video games, and hooking up. Mm-hmm. There was a distinct difference concerning Jared and his friends, Dimitri Henley and Robon Hill. They were all black, and they were the only black men, or boys. I mean, they're <sighs> 17. Um, however, this wasn't important the night of um the night of the party as they were very much accepted into the crowd but it definitely comes into play later so Jarrett, dimitri and rovan found themselves playing video games in a boy's room named sean domain while playing video games a girl entered and hung out and eventually invited Jarrett and his friends into her room Jarrett did not immediately go and continues talking to sean but dimitri and rovan left okay after a while, Jared uh, went to find them and went to the girl's room. Uh, when he arrived, they were engaging in sexual acts. Jared okay. joined in. He's honest about this. 
He doesn't okay. dispute that. Um, and he's always been adamant that it was consensual. Okay. During the um, uh, the time in this girl's room, her roommate entered and started yelling at her that she was a slut and she was on her the roommate's bed. Good old slut shaming. <sighs> and I mean, it's kind of shitty that she was on the roommate's bed. Maybe they just hadn't established, like, really established yet. Because, I mean, the, <laughs> the first weekend I moved in yeah. to college. I, yeah, I switched like, beds before, yeah. It, you know, you're just, nothing's really set in stone. And but it I, would be your bed sheets. Maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, Plus, like, like, I distinctly remember moving to college. And, like, as soon as all of the parents, like, walked off of campus said all their goodbyes it was literally like fuck yeah let's go yeah so it really yeah and i i honestly like when i say like the this girl walked into sean domain's room when they were playing video games mm -hmm. both them both of the roommate and um this girl uh were flirting with them and they both invited them up but the Mm -hmm. roommate eventually left and hung out in another Mm -hmm. room and the first girl stayed and it started escalating yeah um and then on her bed i just (sighs) chill out man it's all good wash the bed sheets yeah it's just i mean i i know a lot of people like get like there's a lot of randomly assigned roommates and there's like roommates that you knew in high school and you became Mm -hmm. roommates i don't know the situation i would maybe take that approach where you're like okay you're you're letting loose whatever if it was like my friend that i already established a relationship but it was just some rando girl okay like i and honestly i have no idea i absolutely none i accidentally found out like what these girls names are i'm not gonna say it Mm -hmm. but like i said in uh redeeming justice uh jared never even says their names and i that, and that's the only reason why I'm not, because it's like... I mean, it's his story, so. It's his story, and he's respecting not to, because he knows what the internet can do, you know? Yeah. But I have no idea what these girls' relationships were before. Yeah, it's... it's okay, it's, so so we've established that uh, his two friends went with this girl, mm-hmm. this young woman. Um, they're engaging in consensual sexual activities and he jumps in mm-hmm. okay yeah um so um the roommate storms out the girl left the room to go talk to that to the roommate being like oh are you mad at me mm-hmm. that kind of I'm so, like i'm so sorry yeah, yeah don't be mad you know and she like the roommate kind of locked herself in another person's room while the girl was kind of trying to knock and tra- talk her mm-hmm. to her and then didn't get anywhere with that, so she came back into the room. They continued for a bit. Okay. I, I don't know if it was on the roommate's bed still. I hope not. But um, not hmm. important at this point. Not super important. But then um, then they decided to head down after hanging out afterwards for a little bit. I think they were smoking in the room too. Mm-hmm. Um, she makes sure to say, don't say anything happened nothing happened da, da, da. and they're like yeah whatever which is fine like you're allowed to have 
that boundary Mm -hmm. with intimate partners where you're like, listen, you know, that was fun, but I'm at a point where I would really rather keep that to myself. And that's, that's everybody's right. And And honestly, I mean, if she's, she's a teenager, she is, she's a teenager Mm -hmm. and this is freshman orientation party in like, what did I say? 1991. I thought you said 98. 98. Yeah, you're right. 98. I still like, that's like. I feel like we're more sex positive now, but like yes. I don't know if it's it was like way I was ninety eight. I think I I was eight. Um, I have no idea what the sexual energy was in the world. I mean, like, I can't imagine. I mean, even now being more sex positive, I still can't imagine a story about four freshmen engaging in like a group sexual activity on orientation weekend would go over like super stellar well and also it's the 90s it's the 90s she probably doesn't she's probably like starting new starting her own identity and like the first story that's going to be told about is her i know and like she already had the roommate come in and be like you're a slut Mm -hmm. so i feel like and you know maybe the boys too also kind of had that like Oh, yeah, that's that's probably I can't speak for them. Mm-hmm. When he was narrating, did he kind of give the the notion that he agreed that it was like, yeah, we probably shouldn't really no, talk it about like it. They, it wasn't that they it I never got that it. It was just like he re, they respected that she didn't want them to. Well, that's nice. that's good. great. Yeah. good communication. excellent. yeah. um but um, and yeah, I can't. And I, I, I fucking hate that I have to, like, make this point, but, like, one, we were talking about how sex positive and, like, the whole rumor of her engaging with, like, sex, uh, like, with three different men on, like, orientation night before her classes even start and her, mm-hmm. like, new life begins. But also it's, like, Wisconsin. Yeah, which... It, completely white university like i'm not saying there was no minorities but there was really no minorities present at this party i would also like to point out that here in the midwest you will find that larger cities Mm -hmm. and some college campus areas will lean a little more liberal democratic vote Mm -hmm. blue but if you get further away from those cities it's very conservative Mm -hmm. Christian, more often than not, Republican, Libertarian. Oh, yeah. When we vote, when I, I mean, I whenever I see, like, the map with the voting for, like, presidential elections, like, the state looks red, but, like, the bigger populated mm-hmm. areas are blue, so therefore, a lot of times, like, there's certain Midwest states um, that swing blue just because of the populated areas, because of all the rural ones, it's very sparse, but it's just like it looks like it's bleeding red but like with spots of blue and yet it's a blue state yes and like i have Mm. i have a lot of family in wisconsin and i I can confirm that they are quite conservative um so they all decide they all agree to this and they all go downstairs uh they meet up back with sean and they smoke they drink they hung out the girl pops in and out here and there Mm. um and they went home you know, easy peasy, mission accomplished. Had a good time, made te- friends. Teenage debauchery achieved. Hooked up, check yeah. in, done. Good weekend was had by all. 
three weeks three weeks later <laughs> i i know where this is going and that <sighs> so three I'm already so it gets it gets so much more frustrating on so many levels and i can't oh, even wonderful. i can't even get into all the levels cuz we'll be here all night and i w- genuinely want people to listen or read redeeming justice because mm-hmm. he he does write it very beautifully and frustrating like he puts you in there you're mm-hmm. you're claustrophobic you're feeling the weight of the world you're feeling the monotony but like it's not it's never boring it's always engaging it's mm-hmm. fantastic so i can't get into every little thing because I, it wouldn't, I, Jarrett deserves people to hear his story from him. But, um, I just want to cast a light on, so that's why I made that whole thing in the beginning where, yeah, I'm going to go into very specific in the beginning, but like, towards the end, it's going to be a yada, 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 because like, again, this is like the big event that affected his life, and I think it's important to really nail that part down. And then also, I really do genuinely want people to listen or read or research this. But anyway. All right. Let's go, Jarrett. So, three weeks later, Jarrett, Dimitri, and Rovan were brought into questioning, and I can't speak for Dimitri or Rovan, but Jarrett was led to the precinct under false pretenses. Um, officers left a card on his door and when Jarrett called back they said they wanted to clear his name from a robbery homicide what the fuck Um, so once he gets there they're suddenly questioning him about a party in Wisconsin and the girl and now I can speak for what happened with Dimitri and Ravon when they were in this situation because they all said the same thing Mm -hmm. they said the truth all their stories lined up not one of them wavered and that is on record well that's false okay so here's then where i'm probably going to make a pretty bold assumption and say that either their questioning was not well documented the recording was lost oh wow and i think and if if i'm taught if i i I honestly like again it's hard to figure out jared life timeline because he does kind of keep things to the chest mm. but I I think he was still 17 he may have been 18 but I feel like he's still 17 at this point this guy okay so no see that's my I almost had this thought to myself of like oh maybe the recording was kept private because he was a minor but that is oh no his mom was not present yeah, but also that is my point of experience mm. is that, you know, if I was brought into questioning as a minor mm-hmm. for a party as a white girl, they would have redacted my identity. Oh, yeah. I, like I said, it, like it was it was like, because I was trying to dig so hard and trying to get details of like everything I could. Yeah. Like I accidentally found the names, but I had to dig. And, like, I'm I'm assuming that they lost the recording in an attempt to sway what I'm assuming is going to be an assault case and not the recording was redacted or destroyed to protect his identity as a minor. Oh, no. All right. Yeah. Glad we cleared that up. Yep. Um, so, let's see. September, they went to the party. Three weeks later, they were brought into questioning. 
Um, by December, all three were charged with five counts of rape and false imprisonment. What the? F- oh, okay. So, um, what? Mm, nope. Okay, keep going. Yeah. I have I have questions, and I'm sure you're gonna answer them. I I mean I don't know if I'm gonna do it with my narrative, but if you have questions, like I can try my best because like nope. I did go in, but I'll, um, I'll, I'll hold my questions for now. Okay. So, um, again, and then again, when I was talking about the book Redeeming Justice and everything, I, you know, there is so much information between so many, like, not even micro injustices, macro injustices between each trial, each big event that I decided to, that I deemed that I wanted to cover and try Mm -hmm. in a timely way, um, between each of these events, it could be weeks, it could be months, and oh, so as we go on, it's years between each of these events. So, um, neat. Yeah. I hate it already. All right. So, um, again, I don't want to yada, 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 because this is all very important. But, like, if I go into every little thing, oh my God. Um, so, redeeming justice, please just go. So, anyway, first trial. It's in August of 1999. Okay. Jared. So that's a, about a year after the yeah, party. Yeah, they've been in, uh, they've been jailed. Of course they have. Mm-hmm. So, and in the meantime, Jared and Dimitri, they were not able to make bond. They mm-hmm. did not come from well-off families. I don't think Rovan came from well-off families, but they were able to scrounge bail money, or the bond money for him to get out. And they right. also ordered, or ordered, hired a um, their own lawyer. Okay. Jared and Dimitri got court-appointed lawyers. So public defenders. Yes. Okay. Um, the lawyer Jared, that is representing Jared, describes is pathetic like i mean oh cool like he like on one hand like jared also acknowledges that he seems very overworked and all that stuff but he also he can't answer reasonable questions from jared and at times he doesn't even seem to care or is prepared in the slightest like jared has to give him all these details that are massive to the case and it's like he never even read the report so do you think do you think this lawyer was overworked or do you think that this lawyer was, I, mm. I don't know. I feel like he probably had like some sort of prejudice, but like also like yeah, once that's... he started getting like a little bit like more into it, I think he just, I think his soul is crushed. Like he maybe mm. started, like his, he also is described as an older, like not older, but like middle age, maybe like forties, oh, late forties, okay. whatever. I'm sure he's seen so much and, like, seen... He's just, like, his soul's crushed a little bit. And he just doesn't fucking care. And it's like, then However, get out of it. Yeah. yeah. However, if you're at the point where you are being responsible for helping prove somebody's innocence or guilt, mm-hmm. and if you can't... If you can't perform the job... If you can't effect- effectively represent the person that you is trusting basically their fucking life to you find something else to do because if i as a nurse Mm -hmm. decide to half-ass anything Mm -hmm. like i'm literally i'm also putting lives at risk i worked at a behavioral group home for adolescents and i left that job 
and I was always clear that I was going to leave that job, which is why, like, you know, they kind of treated me like shit. But, like, I I told him, I'm like, I know in my heart of hearts, like, this isn't, I'm not going to be good at this forever. I'm good at it right now. But the minute I start slipping, like, those kids don't deserve me mm. slipping because that's, they, they deserve somebody who is good at and doing and in it every single day. And I would like that. Yeah. version of myself i would also like to point out that lawyers quit high profile cases all the time mm-hmm. like it this was something that you know and maybe as time went on the lawyer did see what had actually happened and did feel bad but oh you made that face well no, no i mean okay. I, I can't really say for sure but like he doesn't there's no redeeming him i don't oh, think sweet. so the lawyer's he, piece of he, shit. he doesn't awesome. really say a goddamn thing afterwards i think he fabulous oh anyway um do your fucking job yeah um so the first trial their accuser is present and gives testimony and her story changes from what was stated at the pre-trial and i didn't really mention the pre-trial but the pre-trial she admitted that she was not threatened in any way by the boys they had no weapons on them and you know, all she could say is that she was scared and that's the only thing that held her to the situation was fear. Again, hard conversations because that's valid. So. But also. I, okay. As somebody who has been pinned into a situation by fear, I can recognize that sometimes that is a real situation and that I think one of the things that people don't always understand specifically about like Midwest mannerisms is that yeah it's damn near impossible to tell somebody no I'm still trying to break that habit it's very hard to set boundaries it's very hard to give somebody my Facebook that I work at at the brewery because like he asked for it Okay. Yeah. So, and that's... I have a boyfriend. Like, there's, like... I, but I still did that, you yeah, know? Yeah, that's I, handing out your Facebook. And I, I... So, while I can recognize that sometimes that is the case to me from what we have heard so far, mm-hmm. that does not seem like it was the case in no. this particular instance. I mean, again, we're hearing it from one person, but, like, there's a lot of, ex, like, extenuating extenuating circumstances thank you i have a stutter i'm you're gonna hear me struggle occasionally um that's all right i found out i have a minor lisp while recording this so yay oh that was exciting to watch (laughs) (laughs) anyway okay um so um when she so during the pretrial the judge um admonished the prosecutor and the accuser that there were no signs of false imprisonment or any qualifications to the degrees in sexual assault from her testimony and they apparently apparently the prosecutor took uh, that to heart and revamped his strategy for the trial trial. Um, oh, yeah, because this was all about like the bonds and all that shit. Whatever. I again, we're gonna figure out that I'm kind of dumb. And like as much as I tried so hard to figure out this all these legal stuff, like it's still over my head. And I'm just gonna give it to the like a layman's way. It might be incorrect, but it. Even if it's incorrect, it makes sense to the in the advancement of the story. I'm not 
looking for like the exact definitions of a lot of things. But it sounds like the point you're trying to make is that the story changed. The story changed for the actual trial. So the theme of the trial is fear on both sides. Um, on the prosecutor side, she was so terrified by the three black strangers that made, it made her in, unable to get help. And the defendants, or not the defendant, Ravon's representation, because he's the only one who spoke. Yeah. Um, stated that, yeah, the fear of three black men were why they were there that day in court. Um, but they did none of what they were accused of. Jared and Dimitri's lawyers didn't say shit for the opening statement. Um, Spectacular. Fuck that. The story was edited to, um, make sure it was noted that she was dragged in the room now. Oh. Um, so they could get the false imprisonment because that wasn't noted before. Um, they, the prosecutor thought they'd get ahead of the narrative by, about her leaving the room after her roommate had entered and returning to the room, um, by saying that one of the black boys were waiting in the stairwell and which is an obvious, it would have been an obvious exit if she wanted to escape to bring her back to the room and then continue the gang rape, but she was going to the roommate, which was a couple doors down, not down the stairs. So why she would have ran into anyway, it like the story, like I said, like it, it's, it's not consistent. And also it didn't make sense. Logistically. Yeah. It sounds like, um, you know, even though they were, they thought they were closing the gaps, it just made the story make less sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the roommate took the stand and appeared dispassionate and coached with her only stating basically that she walked in and it was a little too dark to see what was occurring. Oh, okay. Um, and I didn't mention this cause I, it, I, I can't figure out exactly when it occurred, but, um, there was a phone call and the accuser took the phone call mm-hmm. and chatted with a hometown friend, somebody you would think, she may have felt more comfortable with um, to maybe insinuate that she was in danger or mm-hmm. needed help. Mm-hmm. Um, and the that person who was on the phone took the stand and basically seemed, said that the girl um, seemed like she was distracted and didn't want to talk and assumed it was because she wanted to keep partying. So she didn't note any sense of... Distress. Yes. Um, Rovan's lawyer pretty much ripped her apart and it was a little uncomfortable to be fair to listen to this bit of the, um, like the trial recording. It wasn't a trial recording. It was, uh, Jarrett kind of narrating what was happening. And I don't know if he was actually reading from the transcript or he was going off memory, Mm -hmm. but it like, he didn't rip her apart like in a like a Hollywood dramatic way with yelling and pointing of the fingers or anything. He just like asked her questions to kind of get her into a hole. Mm-hmm. But also like the questions made me a little uncomfortable because it's like there are certain aspects of it that like I said is valid, but like her story genuinely doesn't make sense. Okay, and I think so 
So is I just to clarify, is the lawyer talking to accuser? Accuser. Okay. So at this point, the lawyer is talking to the accuser. Yeah, he doesn't like. I don't think the the uh, competent lawyer really questions any of the other witnesses because mm-hmm. he feels like after he questions the accuser, like he doesn't need to honestly. Oh my okay. god! I mm, I forgot to mention this completely, and I don't have it in my notes anyway. The cop that interviewed, I think it was at least two of the boys. I think it was Dimitri. Oh, I'm sorry. Dimitri and Jarrett. Mm. She said that their stories didn't line up, that Rovan said that it was a consensual uh, sex ed and that Jared said that he denied having sex at all with this girl. And that is not true. Right. And then the lawyer like, um, is that true? Like, Jarrett, you know, like, our Jarrett did not say that he had a consensual sex and is there any way to prove that and she's just like well we don't have the recording so that's why i brought that up oh wow yeah convenient mm. anyway so yeah he he interviewed the cop and the accuser and like basically just tore them to shreds um so uh her room he 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 was basically just trying to illustrate that the story didn't add up um her roommate entering and her leaving and returning the phone call, apparently her room was like two do- doors down from an RA's, and due that to that this was a freshman orientation party in like a dorm complex. From what I understand, there was people everywhere, all over the place. If she screamed, like you know how like I'm sorry, like this is gonna sound stupid too, but like stupid white boys like just wanting to fight. Like, mm. you know, like, they think they're hot shit, like, in Wisconsin. I don't know. Like, I just know, like, the rural, rural, I know a lot of rural people. I was friends with, like, the guys who would, like, proudly say they were hicks. And I'm like, what? You know? Yeah. I'm from fucking Minnesota. Anyway. In my experience, if you proudly identified as a hick from a rural town, you were also probably ready to throw I down for any... I grew up in a rural any... town, just saying. But, like, you know, like, that makes it even worse. They're, like, those people who have, who are, like... They were ready to throw down for whatever. Cowboys is, I think, a term I've heard before. Mm. But, ugh, they're stupid. Anyway, so, like, I feel like if she had tried doing that, there would have been a couple people who would be able to defend, like, against three people in this party. Again, alleged, whatever. Um, And every... She kept on reverting to a phrase that I'm personally wondering... And of the opinion that her lawyer coached her to say if she was in a tough spot, which was, I don't know. I was just so scared. If you hear the, if you listen to the book, that if you take a shot for every time that phrase is ent- like uttered during this segment of the book, shit face, blackout. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I was just so scared. And that was the only response she had to any of the questioning. Um, neither Jarrett or Dimitri's lawyers questioned a single witness. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Um, so the prosecutor must have seen, uh, the writing on the wall and moved to reduce the charges, um, right then and there and during the trial. Uh, Rovan's lawyer recanted, demanding a mistrial with prejudice, stating the court heard that the cop, um, story changed. 
completely about mm-hmm. like she lied under oath about what Jarrett said. Right. And the accuser's story evolved and was weak to the charges presented. Okay, seems like a fair request for a mistrial. But... Right. Um the judge granted the mistrial. Oh, okay. But uh without prejudice. So what that means is that the prosecutors could still bring the charges to them and have a new jury, but this trial was over. And what's even more frustrating is that unless bond was paid, Jarrett would have to remain in jail until the charges were officially dropped. So until they, the, the prosecutor officially decided not to recharge, he has to remain in jail, as well as Dimitri, Ravon, again, was let out on bail. Um, his failure, failure, his family was able to pay the 10K bond, but, uh, you know, like, it devastated them. And, and That is so much fucking money in 1999. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was the reduced charge. Anyway. Um, February. 2000. Or 2000. Okay, so this puts us at, like, just a couple of months after the mistrial? Yeah. Okay. Uh, second trial begins. Yay. Ravon's lawyer appealed for double jeopardy. Okay. And thus separated his case from Dimitri and Jared's. Because the other two's lawyers decided not to file for double jeopardy with them. And their strategy was to have a no defense defense. What? In theory, it was to try to let the prosecution hang themselves. I felt like I feel like they were feeling real high and mighty after like Rovan's lawyer was being like, just like this boss at like West Street, like high end lawyer, just like dismantling and like turning this jury and judge into their favor that they thought they could like somehow just like oh so these lawyers basically wanted to do a group project and try and like not put in the work but also get the good grade but that analogy doesn't work because it's like they are work they're in a group project and not doing any of the work and then the original person just turns in the work without their names on it because nothing in the first trial could get mentioned. It's not the same jury. It's not the same judge. They have to, like, re- redo what Rovan's lawyer did. But they decided to do none because they argued that, or they explained, I guess, somewhat. I don't think explained is even the right word. They told Jared and they didn't feel like the prosecution could get them charged with like the evidence there which theoretically sure but if not if i mean if we learned anything historically people change their stories so they can get the outcome that they want but okay take two yeah so once again the prosecutor told the story of fear and intimidation of the incident and not once did the court-appointed lawyers say a damn thing. After one day of trial, the all-white jury, and this is the second all-white jury, and we'll get into that in a second because that's bullshit. Um, all-white jury 
convicted Jared and Dimitri of five counts of second degree rape without the false imprisonment because they thought they'd get that better. Um, with the f- fucking white jury thing bullshit, Jared actually pointed out to his lawyer once they did the jury selection, uh, how is this a jury of my peers? There's not a single black man or woman on this. And there, there's 12 white people plus two white alternates. And the jury, the uh, lawyer explained to Jared that they um, appeased the minority percentage by having women on the jury. Not good enough. What? Women, women are a minority. We might be, you know, like class second class you know in certain situations and stuff but we're fucking 50 percent it's 50 50 bitch it's not even it's not a race i i cannot okay so the one month later they are sentenced after they are convicted naturally Dimitri is sentenced 20 years, and Jared is, tw- is given 28. Due to the judge feeling he had no remorse for his actions when he refused to apologize for something he did not do during his uh, given statement in court. So now I'm going to fly a little bit. Um... So for one year, Jared lived his life in prison. He was sent to a maximum security prison in Wisconsin. Um, and he had suffered extreme depression. Uh, he settled into routine to make his days go by. He played basketball. He played chess. He read any type of book that came his way. Mm-hmm. Um, his cellmate was a man that he only knew as Pops, who was a older man with some medical issues, and he worked in the prison's law, law library. During a three-day lockdown, he spent time with Pops for, like, the first time because Jarrett was always trying to distract. Right. Um, And when his cellmate asked if he could read the report of his case, Pops was blown away with how the trial was handled. Mm -hmm. Uh, He brought up that there was a a three-page testimony from a witness that night. Um, Sean Demain. Yep. The guy uh, that he was playing video games with, yep, right? Yep. Uh, he went to the police and stated that the events reported were not how the night happened. He outlined he outlined that the three black men black men from Chicago came to party, but not once did they cause trouble and stayed hours after the event t- the supposed event took place, and with the girl being present and friendly as well. Um, Pop advised. Jarrett to write letters and research the specific case of Strickland versus Washington. And this lit a fire under Jarrett because he replaced his time on the basketball court uh, to spend his days now in the law library. And I'm just going to briefly go into like Strickland versus Washington. It's really brief. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was a, in 1984, uh, it was a landmark Supreme Court case. Um, It established a standard for determining when a criminal defendant's right to counsel is violated by the counsel's 
inadequate inadequate performance. And okay. Okay, so this is basically when somebody can say, you know, I'm I need a new lawyer because this person is not competent or capable to handle the nature of my case. No, it's not because it's um cuz that I think you just you have the right to fire your lawyer. You, right. you know, like how you do with your like doctors or anybody else. No, this is like after the fact and you can prove that like a wrongful conviction uh, okay. is was honed in on your lawyer's incompetence. Okay, now I understand. Yes. So like you have to prove it on two two levels. You have to Prove that the consul the consul's uh, performance fell below the objective standard of reasonableness, mm-hmm. and that performance gives rise to a reasonable probability council was performed adequately. The result would have been different. Those are two points you have to prove. Okay. So this three-page testimony not once got brought up into trial. Sean Demain was not called as a witness. Uh, Jared didn't even fucking know about it. Awesome. His lawyer didn't fucking know about it. Love that. So, uh, when Jared heard of Rovan's double jeopardy plea falling through and that he would be retried, he wrote to Rovan's lawyer about the testimony given by Sean Demain and stated he needs to look for that report that it wasn't given to any counsel. Um, Rovan's lawyer listened and requested the letter, and at first it was misplaced wow imagine that but found that same cop that lied in the first trial was the one who received the report go fucking figure yeah once the lawyer got his hands on this report he brought it as evidence to the court and once that became official what happened Ravon's charges were dismissed and he was never tried again in 2001 Okay, so that's Ravon. Yep, and it's great, right? Great. What about the other two? Jarrett is, of course, very hopeful. Um, it's, um, but for whatever reason, it doesn't help him or Dimitri. Cause, and it, this is super arbitrary in my opinion, but because his lawyer went with the no defense defense strategy, then it would stand to reason he wouldn't have used Sean's trial testimony and therefore wouldn't have charged, changed the outcome of Jared's trial. But again... It doesn't... It proves that he's innocent, but he's still convicted because the lawyer... So Because the lawyer went with the no defense, which isn't... But it, So they proved that he was incompetent, <sighs> but they didn't prove the second point due... Well, no, they fucking yeah, they did. would have they because fucking, if they I don't would, know, it's stupid. If, they argued, mm-hmm. they argued against, and you don't, you know, how many times that he, like Jared appealed this, I, as many it, the maximum. I'm assuming it's yeah, as many times as he fucking could. Yeah, like no, like literally, like there was like a deadline where he had appealed so many times that like they wouldn't give him like representation anymore, and so like that was the final like bit at the end um even the supreme court denied it what the fuck i know it's so fucking stupid because it's like uh, i mm, anyway Ugh. so um this is where i'm gonna start really going forward like this that was pretty quick but now it's just gonna fucking fly redeeming justice please 
just read it. Okay. Um, so Jared spiraled for a bit, but after a visit from his mom and seeing the toll, everything was taking on her. It got him to start fighting for his cause once more. Uh, he spent his time in the law library, and he would get approached by inmates for help with accusations made against them by guards that would affect their time in prison. For example, uh, one instance was an inmate that was charged with having a makeshift weapon uh, because he removed the guard from his shaving razor. Uh, Jarrett argued for this inmate that uh, due to the inmate's race, black, uh, the removal of the shaver was common because the nature of their hair, the razor didn't really work Mm. with the guard on. And he won. Okay. Yeah. And he, he continued researching and helping his inmates or his fellow inmates. Uh, he earned a reputation for it. Um, you know, he got a fun little nickname of the Johnny Cochran looking guy with the glasses, Mm. (laughs) you know? Um, but (sighs) eventually he was detained by prison guards and charged with a bogus claim that he was involved with a conspiracy to start a riot. Okay. So he was sent to solitary confinement in uh, Boscobel Prison, which is a supermax correctional facility, and he could get charged up to 360 days in solitary for helping people, basically. I mean, it's not because he was helping people. It was for the whatever conspiracy. No, let's be real. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. It was. I know. Um, so he was there a week or two shy of a year because he appealed, like he fought for his case and they finally, they're like, let him, I don't know. It was just. We guess. Guess. Like basically a year. Solitary confinement. Um, and he was sent to a different prison in Green Bay, but his, uh, reputation somehow followed him and he continued aiding inmates with cases and. Finding charges, are uh, in charges finding that he had an. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. He continued uh, aiding inmates with cases and charges, and finding that he had a knack with a knack with explaining legalese. Uh, he charged them in stamps, which I'm not sure if it's like the going currency in those prisons or just because he sent so many fucking letters to mm-hmm. everybody, appealing his case or reaching out to organizations in attempt. For them to take up his cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wasn't exactly choosy either. Like, his drive was the law, and that was pure and simple. Mm-hmm. He once got a, a leader of the Aryan Brotherhood to receive a visitation from his his children that he hadn't seen basically their entire lives. Wow. But he did also charge him, like, triple the price. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is what it is. So... Essentially, he operated in, like, a true sense of blind justice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because even when he was, like, his mom was hammering in his head about, like, the injustice and, like, everything, like, he went to that um, bullshit, like, interview with the cops about the robbery, homicide, whatever, because he's just like, well, if I tell the truth, like, everything's fine, like. What can happen to me? I didn't do anything. Which is, I think, what a lot of people who are falsely convicted mm-hmm. go with. Um, damn, I just... 
you can't even you don't even know Meg. Like I'm touching on some of the shit. There's there's so many there's to this and I I feel like I'm just basically stunned at this point. And like the the awful, terrible truth of this is that I know Jarrett is not the only man who has experienced this. It experience experiencing. Yeah. You know, going to. Yeah. It's anyway do better be better people come on so um all right so jared's kicking ass taking names helping out his fellow inmates so therefore the prison only had one thing to do and it was to accuse jared of another conspiracy charge of a contraband smuggling ring this time okay so we've sent back to solitary and i see you breaking I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This... Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Thankfully, during his time during the solitary, he received a letter from the Wisconsin Innocence Project, and they agreed to take up his cause. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jerry wrote up, wrote out a habeas corpus report, and there was a... There's, there's a lot of nuance with a habeas corpus. Mm-hmm. corpus. I'm going to explain it Pretty much how I outlined Strickland versus Washington. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it, it completely aligns, but it, it just, like I said, it just makes sense for how this case goes forward. How it's going. Yeah. Okay. So I'm basically saying it's like the incompetent lawyer defense. Right. I'm sure there's a lot of nuance with the habeas corpus that Naturally. I just don't understand. Naturally. Um, Which is why it's fucking bullshit like that. You know, like, if Jarrett didn't get the representation of the Innocence Project, he would have been left to just sink. Because even though he was bright and gifted and he was doing well with the law library... He still had this whole system basically just... He's not educated. Like, if he doesn't have, like, a person who actually knows the ins and outs, like, I I don't... I'm an idiot. Like, I don't know. Like, I need somebody to explain what this latin foreign word is to me i don't know what that is and i feel like when you're trying to you're a one-man show basically against this entire system that is meant to break you down Mm -hmm. fail you keep you in the same place prevent you from doing better from being better and from fucking clearing your goddamn name yeah the, the whole point of the original implementation of the justice system, to clear your name, but I have a whole soapbox TED Talk hmm. rant about yeah. all of that. No, the, this system right now that's in place, especially for these black men, is to get them into the system and keep them there and nail them down and make sure that they there's just no hope. Because that's how for-profit prison systems oh, work. Don't even get me started. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, anyway. There are so many layers. Okay, Jarrett. Anyway, Jarrett. So, um, so he wrote out a habeas corpus report, and, um, and it was really well done. He actually did get assistance from a lawyer for the uh, to write this out. But, however, the Innocence Project felt that they had a better shot of proving that he was convicted without supporting evidence. And that Jarrett's race played a, the biggest part in his conviction. And they aren't wrong. Yeah, that seems pretty closely aligned with what I've, I've gleaned. But Jarrett rationally felt that the incompetent, incompetent representation was the better option as he 
did not have faith that the state of Wisconsin would admit to a racially driven conviction because it would open too far too many cases for them to account for. And but he put his trust in the Innocence Project and he went with what I they mean, suggested. Yeah, he also has a really good fucking point. Yeah. Um. So the Innocence Project is like you know, charity, it's through a un- the University of Wisconsin, it's like, the professors of it is leading it, but like, their law students are doing it, so. Okay. Um, so, uh, he, he could not actually attend the trial, because he was in solitary confinement. Right. Uh, but he got the news that Wisconsin did not agree with the Innocence Project. Oh, what? Yeah. You don't say. This not only devastated Jared, but also the Innocence Project. Like, these students, like, probably just thinking that the law is the law. Right. Got shown real fast, real hard. Yeah. Um, But through their efforts, they petitioned to move the case to Illinois under the habeas corpus angle. Right. That Jared outlined. Um, Yeah. Once again, Jarrett could not attend, but he got ex- an excited call that they were granted the retrial, and they finally won. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. And this mm-hmm. is what year? This is 2005, I believe. Six years after the party. Yeah. But, and then they had 120 days to either release him of his charges or retry from the beginning. They took 120 days... To not do anything. Oh. Um, and kept him in solitary the whole time. Naturally. So they decided to just, like, not say, we're just going to drop it. They let him sit in, for the maximum amount of time. And here's the thing. Remember what I said earlier? Um, he got sent from prison to jail. Because, I guess, it, that falls under the release clause. Because he was released from prison. But he had to be in jail because he had those, that umbrella of um, looming charges over him. So he couldn't leave. Thanks, I hate it. Yeah. Whew, okay. So, um, his family was able to scrounge together a $10,000 bond again. And again, like, with all the... I'm just going to jump forward to 2007. Jerry was dismissed of all charges. He won. He won. He spent damn near 10 years in jail. He started, he never started his adulthood. Um, he. And can you, let's also take a moment to pause and think about all of the, the societal changes from, 1998 to Buses didn't take tokens anymore, and he didn't understand that. Yeah, you would have had cards. Yeah. Or, like, the the punch cards or sweat cards. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even or think tickets. of what... I, uh, Vouchers. Yeah. Yeah. 
he so much would have happened politically culturally oh, oh my god yeah his neighborhood so different so different he couldn't recognize it um he had family members die yeah he had family members be born yeah never meeting them holy shit um yeah it's and i'm dare i even hope for restitution oh no of course not um it gets worse than that oh okay so when he's going around trying to get a job please even though he has no uh experience in his adult life he can't get a job because he can't get an id he can't get an id because his car was impounded and he can't pay the tickets um when if he ever does get a job that might actually hire him through like channels of friends it shows the last like um address he has is solitary confinement he tries to this new world um by joining one of those uh programs for released felons right convicted felons like a like a, a, a almost rehabil- like a rehabilitation yeah, yeah. But it's only for convicted felons, and he was dismissive of all charges, so he can't use the programs. Even though he wasted 10 mm. years of his life in prison, he can't use the resources that other prisoners get because he is free, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. I come. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's awful. It's heartbreaking. I can't understand how this man just keeps going. Like, honestly. And he's, like, he's experiencing, like, all of that shit. And he has, like, like, I mean, I'm not a psychologist. And he never says it straight out. But he, like, pretty significant signs of PTSD from prison. Like, he has, like, a panic attack being in his, like, mother's house. Because the bed is, like not against the wall it's like it's sitting in the middle oh. and so he has to sleep on the couch so he has this he can like see the room in front of him and he like has he can't even really sleep he because he has to make sure he's back into the room before his mom wakes up because he doesn't want to worry his mom yeah this man i know this man oh my god oh so um He, but he doesn't ever back down. He, like, he he's frustrated and he's depressed and he's, he's acknowledging, like, this life is unfair, but he just doesn't fucking back down. Um, he slowly but earnestly is, starts going to college, like, where he was when he was first convicted at, at 17, mm-hmm. tech in the community college he starts earning he gets starts getting gen eds yeah um he he starts leaning to getting a law degree naturally yeah um he eventually i think he graduates with the right to practice in new york and eventually illinois and wisconsin he um joined and aided in the new york's innocence project Fuck yeah. Yes. And he eventually started his own practice with offices in all of those states and hopefully another one opening in California this year. 
Um, Hell yeah. He also co-funded Life After Justice, which establishes a support system for those who are exonerated and to help them rebuild their lives after imprisonment if they can't go to the felony rehabilitation projects. That is Jarrett Adams. Jarrett fucking Adams. Holy shit. Yeah. There, I, I, oh, I feel like if I'm thinking back, I don't know if I ever really adequately expressed my thoughts about just the layers and pieces and fragments of everything that came together to do him such fucking injustice. Yeah. He, like, I just, and like, I, all right, you're going to get like a mini version of my, my soapbox here. So I've had this discussion with my husband before where I really, really feel like there came a point in time where just, you're supposed to be tried by a jury of your unbiased peers. Mm-hmm. Now, in 2022, we have to worry about trial by media, mm-hmm. right? Where you have the almost impossible task of I'm finding fine. 14 people mm-hmm. who do not ingest this story and form their own opinion before they're called to the jury pool. Mm-hmm. In... I still feel like even in the 80s and in the 90s, that was when you still had a lot of reporters and opinion pieces being written that could, yeah, still cloud your jury pool. Maybe not necessarily to the degree that social media does now, but I almost feel like this is one of those cases where and there are so many cases known and unknown exactly like this where when that jury is selected they are either chosen based on the manipulated outcome Mm -hmm. that the prosecutor or the defense wants and almost not at all based on is this person of sound mind are they logical can they follow yeah comprehend and stomach the case in a way that will deliver truth and justice yeah i mean there's that like where it's like if these lawyers think that they are smarter than or whatever and they can like talk circles around and convince a jury because they think they're stupid or whatever like i think Mm -hmm. that is a huge element i absolutely absolutely and but then also i like something I, i feel like i knew but i didn't know no you know where they have a, I think, like, three shots of just, like, dis- discharging uh, or dismissing mm-hmm. a jury member without cause, right. basically. So if, like, the prosecution actually does find, or does the defendant finds a jury that is of sound mind, level-headed, able to, like, um, you know. Comprehend and yeah, follow. They, the uh, opposite side can be like, nope. Bye. Bye. You know, and I'm just like, what? What? To me, it just... 
and I mean, recent as recently as the George Floyd mm-hmm. case and following trials, like there were jury members who were receiving death threats. Yeah. Like I, and that brings this whole other layer of manipulation and co- a verdict. Yeah. It's, it's not fair and it's not right. And I really. Well, and, and honestly, like that, that is a double-edged sword because like you got these juries that are like afraid for their life if they don't like comply and like go against what they feel is right. Mm. And then on the other side, you get like the conspiracy theorists basically like oh well they only voted uh guilty because they didn't want minneapolis to burn down because they knew if they if the cop, yeah which you know, that was like a really common yeah like so it's like it's there's no right there because like it's either they did it because they were actually trying or they're they're scared into it or it's a conspiracy because mm-hmm. it's you know like they they chose one way just because they knew a bigger outcome would happen if they didn't do it one way or another yeah it's so fucking stupid and it's like and i like i to me it's just mind-boggling because this the judicial system is supposed to work in such a way where this does not happen and yet time and time again it just does. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, they, like I said, like this case is going to be hard because of the like, uncomfortable topic of false rape accusations mm-hmm. and like how, what is appropriate actions of a sexual assault victim and all mm-hmm. that jazz. And I just like, it, it put me in an uncomfortable place, you know? Like, I do. if I were on the jury and I saw you know, petite white girl, three black men from Chicago, and, you know, they are all just, like... Because, like, honestly, kind of both of them, both the stories to me sound a little far-fetched. Like, hers definitely more so because it just constantly is changing, but as a jury member, I don't know that. Mm. And then also, uh, it also didn't, like, make sense anyway. But, like, on their hand, on the other hand, like, me... I don't know. It's hard for me to necessarily completely disavow the victim because, like, my gut is to, like, initially try to support a victim. And see, I think that comes into where we are as a culture because now we have a lot of this narrative of believe all, like, believe the victim listen to what they have to say yeah. and that's and, and make sure that they feel heard understood and supported and you 98 like they probably didn't have like the whole like it's yeah fear is paralyzing like there are people who will walk into a furnace because somebody t- you know there's just like this like crazy instinct in them that just tells them to comply mm-hmm. and we know this exists and like but they probably didn't there and so they you know, like, if this was any other case and this girl was, like, being accused of whatever and it, she is telling the truth, like, that's heartbreaking. Because, like, but, like, again, I don't believe, I, I truly believe, like, it was consensual. 
I believe Jared. Mm. The story, there's too many other elements other than like just the fear defense that doesn't add up. Yeah, and I think that's where that's where it is supposed to reign true that if you tell the truth mm-hmm. oh yeah uh, things will work out in the way that they should and so obviously if you have this person come forward and say i was assaulted by these three men mm-hmm. you initially want to offer that system of okay how can i support you but then once you start piecing everything together you're like nah nope like let's say detective work like oh what what's that like investigation oh my god never heard of that but yeah and well and on the other hand on the same vein like you know i know better now just because of you know the interests that i have but like if i'm ever brought into a court like a um interrogation room and i'm accused of something i didn't do i want to be like no i did and i would give them like everything i you know i possibly could knowing like that is what's probably going to be nails in my coffin mm-hmm. you know i know that no matter what like the cops aren't my friend like even at all like especially if i'm on the other side of the table from them yeah you know i'm they're not there to protect me they're there to try to close a case yeah and so i there's never going to be an instant where i'm going to have like i'm going to have the instinct to talk because i feel like telling the truth should be enough but it's not Mm -hmm. you got to get your lawyer you got to shut up you got to not trust the cops yeah i think the best piece of advice that i have heard has come from the BIPOC community mm-hmm. in the last few years. And it is, if you are brought in for questioning on something, regardless of who you are and what actually happened, get the lawyer right away. Yeah. Okay. I just want to say one final thing because it's like, it's stuck in my head. And then we can all feel fucking awful for the next week from mm. this case because it is draining. It is whole. I did want to start with this one because it does have like a positive thing. Jared, like, fucking is killing it and he's helping people and he's did something with this awful fucking tragedy that it what he lost 10 years he lost his entire like young adulthood he like Mm -hmm. he i don't know it i don't have to go into it again but here's what happened in the most in like three sentences or maybe four um Three black men were convicted of a crime. One walked free. One lost 10 years of his life. The other is still registered as a sex offender. Because I I can't get into Dimitri's story. He was also freed. And he was exonerated. But... I don't fucking know why, because again, I say, I don't fucking know the law. I don't understand it. Um, The Supreme Court ruled that that judge didn't have the right to make that decision. Four to three. And therefore, he, for life, has to register as a sex offender. He is a felon. For a crime that, again... One man walked free from. One was 
exonerated, exonerated. and he is still living. So this case is still carrying injustice. Yes. yes. Today. Yep. And same crime, same group of boys, same night, three different stories. Cannot. Fucking cannot. And I'm sorry I left it on that note because we were kind of on a angling positive, but I just needed to nail that one in. So this this actually brings home, I guess, one of the points that, and one of the hopes that I had set out to make for the Midwest Goodbye. Not all of our cases wrap up no. nice and neat and tidy. Because even after this podcast ends and after you come away from your chosen listening platform, this case still has repercussions today. On families, on communities, and on real living people. This is not entertainment value. This is not something that you, as a listener, get to just walk away from. Mm -hmm. Because these crimes, these injustices, still affect people. It's real. It's happening. It's not, like, I, I get it. True crime the macabre, like, it's all entertaining, and I I know it's a hard pill to swallow to say that you're entertained by the tragedy, but you gotta, you can't forget that Jarrett Adams is real, Dimitri Henry is real, Rovan Hill is real, and, like, they, they went through something that horrific it's horrific and it's because their skin color it's because a girl didn't want a reputation and even if she like i feel like honestly honestly i feel like even if she recanted her statement dimitri would still be a sex offender yeah i feel like this yeah the prosecutor would have absolutely still continued they well, it, I don't think it would even have fucking mattered because like it, what? When did it ever matter? When did like the whole like testimony from Sean Demaine didn't fucking matter, and it, even though it mattered to Rovan, yeah. but it like you would think because it helped one, it would help all, all of and them. Didn't and so like even I feel like if she waited just five years. This trajectory would not have changed one bit because mm-hmm. that's what the system is. This is real life. These are real people. These are things that are happening and they're going to continue happening. And we just got to be aware. And that's all I ask is that you listen and you feel something. And if you feel like reaching out, you know, looking up Jarrett, looking at what what he's doing, what work he's doing. If you want to look up to what your current state's innocence project, you know, I'm sure they always need something. Just, just try, try to do, try to help live by the camper camping rules is leave the place better than you found it. Yep.
if you are moved by Jarrett, Ravon, and Dimitri's story. And if you want to, you can donate to the Innocence Project. You can find them at www.innocenceproject.org. And with that, we, well, I mean, I don't know if we even have a time for a don't you know, because that was a long fucking case and we went off the rail at the end. We did. We're going to skip don't you know this week and instead we will leave you with this. Don't you know this shit happens to real fucking people. (laughs) See what I did there? (laughs) Innocenceproject.org. Yes. Thank you guys so much for listening. I am sorry if we went on too many tangents or whatever but it's this is important it's important so thank you for listening if you ever want to look us up you can find us at we are midwest underscore goodbye underscore pod on the instagram and you can email us any stories topics spooks that you want us to cover and that would be midwest goodbye pod pod at gmail.com. I'm Meg. And I'm Kirsten. Well, well,